Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Joni Grieve, in for Jonathan Friedland. Since the start of 2021, Republican lawmakers in 37 U.S. states have advanced anti-trans legislation that has primarily targeted young people, proposing bans on transgender children from certain sports teams and limiting their access to gender-affirming health care. According to a 2019 report by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, only about 2% of high school students in the United States identify as transgender. But Republican lawmakers have introduced dozens of bills looking to curb their rights. The impact of those efforts is very much being felt on the ground by transgender children, such as Wyatt Williams, a trans boy living in South Dakota. Just let me live my life. I shouldn't have to, as a 14-year-old, be worried about my rights taken away. The volume of laws proposed and the coordinated campaigns behind some of them suggest that this issue has become a central focus of the GOP culture war. But what is the full extent of the proposed legislation? And how many of these bills actually have a chance of becoming laws? Here to give me some answers is The Guardian's Los Angeles correspondent, Sam Levin, who has been following the story closely and spent a lot of time on the ground talking to trans children. I started by asking Sam about the history of anti-trans bills and transgender youth in the United States. Yeah, so I interviewed Jules Gill-Peterson, who's a historian and gender studies scholar, and she's done extensive research showing that trans kids have for decades in America fought to transition and live as themselves, you know, even before we had the sort of contemporary language to describe trans existence. So she dug up archival records that showed youth who were accessing transition for really as long as there has been medical transition available. And then even before that, in the early 1900s, she found examples of trans kids who had socially transitioned. You know, these are kids who were supported by their families and were able to go to school and use their chosen pronouns and names and clothes that match their gender. And so her research had clearly demonstrated that trans kids are in no way a new phenomenon. And, you know, beyond her work, there is, of course, widespread evidence of young trans people and gender nonconforming people existing across cultures and across history and you not know, just in America. So given that really rich history of trans children in the U.S., why are we seeing such an increase of these anti-trans bills this year? I think it's a perfect storm at this moment that has led trans kids to really be the central target of the Republican Party. You know, trans kids have, of course, always existed, but trans people and trans youth in particular have become more hyper visible in recent years, you know, in media and in culture. And I think that has really made them a target. 
At the same time, you also have a lot of conservative anti-LGBT groups that have really lost many of their battles targeting gays and lesbians. A hard-fought victory for the right to marry, guaranteed in a landmark decision that emphasized equality for gays and lesbians. And before- you know, in 2015, you had the Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage. So after they lost that, you saw a shift towards trans people. And that first began with these bathroom bills, which sought to you know, ban trans people from using bathrooms that match their gender. But many of those bills failed or ended in states, you know, facing costly litigation or boycotts due to the laws. And so more recently, we've seen the shift specifically towards children. And children are very often the subject of culture wars and moral panics. And we've seen just this huge proliferation of these bills, which does suggest that the anti-trans groups have gained a lot of traction with this new focus. And let's talk a little about what specifically is in these bills. Can you tell us what are the specifics there and how many of these bills have already been signed into law across the U.S.? So this year, there were more than 110 bills that were proposed, which is the largest number in history. And that spanned 37 states. This was happening in basically every region of the country. And in total, we have 13 of those bills that have been signed into law and enacted. And so the most common proposals we saw were bills focused on youth sports. And so many of them were specifically seeking to ban trans girls from competing on girls' sports teams. And there were others that were broader and seeking to just ban all trans kids from school sports teams. And so those bills passed in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, and um, several other states. And then the other bills that were most common were healthcare bills that specifically focused on seeking to restrict certain kind of medical care for trans children, you know, in some by punishing doctors who treat kids or, you know, criminalizing parents who support their trans kids. And those bills have focused on gender affirming healthcare and treatment models. And, you know, these are uh, healthcare treatments that have been in existence for many years and are supported by major medical associations. And the laws essentially seek to outlaw them. So there are various groups campaigning to get these laws passed, including some parents and activists. But it seems to be Republican lawmakers who are pushing the hardest to see these proposals enacted. Earlier this week in Louisiana, Republican state senators actually tried to overturn Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards's veto of their anti-trans sports bill. They didn't get enough votes to succeed. But why is it that it's Republican lawmakers who are trying the hardest to pass these bills into law? Yeah, these bills are extremely partisan. You know, they've been proposed and adopted entirely by GOP-controlled legislatures and Republican governors. 86% of these people in the nation identify as religious people. We're going to allow this law and this the overreach of the left in this country to start infringing on those people's rights. And Madam Speaker, I've got to vote against it. You know, I think if you talk to experts who study these kinds of uh, legislations, you see that trans rights in particular have become a wedge issue for the party and, you know, that this is a way that Republicans see uh, they should be riling up the base. And, you know, I, in my reporting, I had talked a bit about this conservative think tank in uh, 2019 that had acknowledged that its own research found that, you know, GOP voters were motivated by messages raising fears about trans people and particularly about trans kids in sports. And so they found that, you know, these ads that showed 
you know, messaging about uh, quote unquote boys taking over girls sports did motivate people uh, to vote and did motivate people to to be engaged. And this is a way to, to rile up their base. And obviously these messages are, you know, largely rooted in misinformation and prejudice. But I think that Republicans see this as an effective way to engage their voters. And can you talk a little bit about how Democratic lawmakers have been responding to these proposals? Human kindness, respect for others, pretty basic stuff. But the new QAnon vibe on this body has gone too far. Yeah, so Democratic lawmakers have been fighting these pretty aggressively. You know, the Democratic Party stands strongly against these bills that are, you know, seeking to take rights away from a vulnerable group of people. And some are debating an even sillier notion that somehow a man will pretend to be a woman to win in women's sports, a crazy, made-up fantasy notion. And um, in states where Republicans have control, they've just not been able to uh, counter that. And so I think you've seen examples of Democratic lawmakers speaking out about, you know, the trans people in their lives. You know, there are some Democratic lawmakers that have trans kids. I'm voting yes on the Equality Act for Evie Newman, my daughter and the strongest, bravest person I know. And can speak about it from a personal perspective. And, you know, you've had trans kids actually go to these legislatures and speak out um, and share their testimonies. And I think that's been one of the key ways that Democratic lawmakers have tried to, to fight these bills. But, um, you know, it hasn't always been effective in the states where they are in the minority. So to sum it up very simply, Republicans and Democrats aren't seeing eye to eye on social issues. That discord certainly isn't new. But do you think that this is simply another example of a culture war or is there another dimension to this? Yeah, I mean, it, it does have a clear sort of formula and playbook of a standard culture war it is clearly a reaction to some social progress and increasing visibility for trans people and non-binary people. But I did interview a Democratic lawmaker in Arkansas, State Senator Joyce Elliott, who has been very outspoken against these bills. And one of the things she was telling me was that, you know, she strongly believes some of her Republican colleagues who are supporting these bills don't actually support them in practice and that, you know, they know better is how she put it. And I think she believes that the Republican colleagues, you know, understand the realities of that these bills are not actually necessary, right? That trans kids are such a tiny portion of the population and that there is no problem here that needs to be fixed through legislation. But they're supporting these bills and voting for them because they are living in fear of a primary challenge. And so I think that it, we're seeing, you know, state lawmakers facing challenges from candidates who are farther to the right than them. And these GOP lawmakers who are maybe slightly more moderate do fear that if they support trans rights in any way, you know, it will be used against them. And how have voters responded to these anti-trans bills? What does polling tell us about societal attitudes towards trans kids in the U.S.? Yeah, the polling has shown that the majority of voters in the U.S. oppose these bills. So I think there was something like 67% of Americans oppose specifically banning trans youth from sports. And I think that number is 66% for Republicans. So this there's widespread opposition to these bills. And I think part of that comes from the fact that, you know, we see more and more trans youth coming out and publicly identifying as trans. And polling shows that, you know, a growing number of cisgender Americans personally know trans people. And so I think 
as trans people are more visible and more people know them, that affects how people view this issue. Now, as we've already talked about a little bit, this isn't the first time this type of fight over trans rights has come about. Well, this morning, reaction pouring in from around the state and the country to Governor Pat McCrory's signing of a bill that overturns Charlotte's transgender ordinance. Well, that bill- in 2016, a bill called HB2 passed in North Carolina requiring people to use bathrooms that matched their birth certificate. But the law caused a massive backlash. Hundreds of America's biggest, most prestigious corporations and organizations have already come out in firm opposition to the law. Companies like Google. Big games were canceled and Bruce Springsteen refused to have a concert in North Carolina. So are these new anti-trans bills attracting the same level of backlash? You know, there has been some backlash, though I don't think we are seeing it at quite the same level as we did four years ago. Um, You do have many corporations that have publicly condemned the bills, say they don't support them, but they have not gone as far as to institute boycotts the way that they have in the past. And I think part of that has to do with just the volume of the bills and the number of states that are impacted. Right Right now, we have seven states that have enacted anti-trans laws. And so you're just not seeing massive boycotts in seven different states. But at the same time, I know that trans activists and LGBTQ plus groups have been really disappointed in the NCAA in particular, which had, you know, initially threatened to pull championships from the states with anti-trans bills. And that had had some impact. You know, you saw states sort of backing off because that has a huge economic impact if, if that occurs. But since then, the NCAA has kind of backtracked. And so there really is not like a mass movement from people with economic power to impact the states that have these bills that you saw, you know, years ago. And there have been some surprising conservative critics to these bills. I'm, I'm trying to, to understand more. Um, I'm trying to, to, to listen and, and learn. And, uh, and again, trying to help kids figure out who they are and, and keep them alive. For example, the Republican governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, refused to sign an anti-trans sports bill in his state. So have there been many conservative voices like Cox who have come out against these proposals? Yeah, there are a small handful of Republican governors who have said no to these bills. And so some of them have acknowledged, you know, just the reality that trans kids are a tiny fraction of the population and that, you know, the sports bills in particular are seeking to address a problem that just doesn't exist. It was North Dakota's governor who admitted that there was not a single documented case of a trans girl playing on a girl's sports team in his state. And he vetoed the bill that his legislature had passed. Um, And even the Republican governor of Arkansas, who has generally supported the anti-trans bills and signed numerous of these bills into law, he vetoed the most sort of extreme health care ban bill that was proposed in his state, um, which was meant to kind of restrict health care treatments for youth. And he just acknowledged that he was worried about its impact. And he did say that it was, you know, uh, appearing to be a government overreach. Ultimately, the legislature in a state, you know, uh, overrode his veto and that law went into effect. But you do have just a small handful of Republican governors who have met with trans kids and do acknowledge that these bills could cause a lot of harm and are unnecessary. But the people most affected by these bills are, of course, the trans kids in the U.S., You've talked to a number of these children, Sam. Can you tell us what they are telling you about how these bills have impacted their lives? Yeah, so I, throughout the past couple months, have interviewed trans kids across the country in the states where these bills are proposed. 
And they talk about just how scary and devastating it is to have these bills introduced in the first place. Um, you know, many of them have, you know, been living as themselves in their identities for many, many years and are now faced with the prospect of, you know, being banned from school activities, being, you know, unable to access the healthcare that they're currently accessing. You know, many of these kids are extremely young. And so I think it's been quite traumatizing for the kids I've interviewed um, and, and just a very frightening time. I interviewed one 14-year-old in South Dakota named Wyatt Williams. I'm I'm not a problem to society. I'm not someone who's like causing trouble because I want to play sports. Like that's not that's not what I'm doing. Um, who's just this extremely smart eighth grade boy who's very self-assured about who he is and has a very very clear understanding of his identity, very articulate. And he talked about just growing up facing these attacks on his rights for many years. You know, he he first sort of heard about these bills when he was 11 years old. And it's just been a repetitive cycle every year that has been just a part of his life. I'm a normal person. Like, if I were trans, I wouldn't have to go through having my rights debated and constantly being told, well, you're, you're going to be losing something at some point. So, Sam, we've been looking at all of this through the eyes of some states, but let's move to talking about the response from the federal government. We should deal with this issue the same way we'd want it dealt with if it was our child. In May of 2016, when Barack Obama was in office, the Justice Department and the Department of Education issued guidance to public school districts across the country. The guidance clarified a federal law banning sex discrimination in education programs and activities, which essentially protected students who are transgender. Was that the first time a U.S. president has taken such an active stance in protecting trans kids' rights? Yeah, Obama affirmed trans rights and specifically for kids, you know, through the federal government in a way that had never been done before by a president in in the US. There were, you know, laws in place that acknowledged that gender identity is a protected class. But through these guidances, uh, the government under Obama spelled out quite clearly what the rights were for trans youth. And there were numerous steps that his administration took to explicitly defend trans people, you know, in existing anti-discrimination protections, acknowledging that gender identity is a protected class and that you know you can't fire people for being trans and that trans people have have basic rights to to exist as themselves and and not face discrimination based on who they are. And shifting to the current administration, what has Joe Biden's policy been on trans kids rights and how has it differed from his predecessor Donald Trump? So the Trump administration as soon as it came into office launched a very serious and pretty unprecedented attack on trans rights across the federal government. And so famously, the the Trump administration banned trans people from the military quite early on in the administration. Well, Michael, Trump is scaling back. So instead of saying that nobody who is transgender can serve in the military, he's saying that some can. There are a few exceptions, but that others cannot specifically. But also removed protections for trans people in housing and in schools in employment and just other sectors, you know, in in all reaches of the federal government. And so in his first months in office, Biden came in and quickly restored many of the policies 
that um, had been in place under Obama and, and made quite clear that he was supporting trans equality, you know, and has repeatedly pledged to kind of protect trans people from discrimination and specifically protect trans children um, in schools from, from facing discrimination. And let's talk a little bit about the dynamics within the Democratic Party when it comes to trans rights. Has there been pressure on Biden from other Democrats to do more on this issue? Yeah, so within the Democratic Party, there's a big push right now to pass the Equality Act, which is one of the sort of Democratic priorities that has has stalled in, in the current government. And the Equality Act would essentially provide clear anti-discrimination protections for trans people in federal law. And Biden has supported that and pushed it. And Congress is, you know, supporting that as well, Democratic members. Um, But when it comes specifically to the anti-trans state bills, there is increasing uh, pressure on Biden to aggressively take on these bills um, and to take on these states that are passing these bills to find a way to challenge these bills in courts and really take them on and, and try to prevent them from actually being implemented and impacting trans people who live in these states. And as a quick side note, the Equality Act has passed the House, but has stalled in the Senate like many other Democratic proposals. Is that right, Sam? Yes, that is correct. So when it comes to federal versus state law, what legal options are available to the various parties here? For example, the Obama administration was sued by several states over its transgender bathroom policy. Do you think we'll be seeing more lawsuits like that? I think there are numerous steps that the federal government could take to challenge these bills if they decide to be aggressive. We have already seen the Department of Justice file what are called statements of interests in lawsuits that do seek to overturn the new laws in those states. So in West Virginia and Arkansas, the DOJ under Biden has issued filings kind of in support of the litigation seeking to end those bills. And so I think that there's a possibility that we'll see more aggressive action from the DOJ seeking to challenge these bills, especially as you know more litigation occurs and we see the ACLU ramping up its efforts. Um, and certainly, you know, LGBTQ plus groups are pushing the Biden administration to do everything it possibly can to tackle these bills, you know, in line with the administration's position in favor of trans rights. And there's a certain amount of unpredictability about this depending on the outcome of U.S. elections. So will this just be something that trans people have to consider every four years, depending on who wins the White House? I think that's a very real possibility and something that, you know, trans folks are very concerned about. You saw Obama making historic steps in favor of trans rights and Trump immediately undoing all of that. Biden has come in and restored much of that. But it's quite likely that if a Republican were to take the White House, that some of these protections would once again be rolled back. And, you know, these are very serious protections that have huge impacts on people's lives, you know, whether or not they can be fired for who they are, you know, whether or not they can access health care, be able to go into homeless shelters. Uh, You know, the, the, the stakes are extremely high. And with these executive orders that come, you know, through the federal government and not through legislation, the impact is huge. And there's a very real possibility we could see that rolled back in four years. (laughs) 
Sam, we always ask a what else question on our show. And for this week's question, I am going to completely shift gears away from what we've been talking about. And instead, we're going to talk about a topic that has recently started to fascinate me. That topic is, of course, Britney Spears's conservatorship. For those who don't know, Britney Spears has recently asked to be let out of her conservatorship, and she has actually accused her dad of conservatorship abuse, which her father has denied. Sam, you've been covering this issue extensively, and the whole case has now actually spurred lawmakers into action. A Republican and a Democrat from the House of Representatives have proposed bipartisan legislation that would protect those under legal guardianships and conservatorships. So do you think this is going to go anywhere, especially given that it's something both sides are at least so far agreeing on? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see lawmakers uh, organize in response to this really disturbing case and and the claims from Britney Spears in court about, you know, the abuse that she's suffered under the conservatorship. I think it's quite rare to see something that has such strong bipartisanship support. Um, and so in that sense, there does seem to be a lot of interest in these bills, a lot of lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. And, and you have that in California at the state level as well, but also at the federal level are interested in tackling this. Um, it's a very complex issue. And, you know, I've already seen some criticisms of the specific language of this bill from, you know, advocates who are well versed on these issues. And so I think it remains to be seen what exactly might be passed and how that will move forward. But certainly there's a, a great interest in, in pushing forward reforms on, on both sides of the aisle. Sam Levin, The Guardian's Los Angeles correspondent. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this week. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all from me this week. Make sure to listen back to Wednesday's episode of UK Politics Weekly, as Heather Stewart looks at the future for Boris Johnson's premiership after yet another tough week in office. Please keep sending me any questions or comments you have about the show or the state of U.S. politics. You can send us an email at podcastattheguardian.com, or you can tweet me directly on Twitter. My handle there is at Joan E. Grieve. But for now, I'll say goodbye. The producers were Esther Apoku-Jenny and Daniel Stevens, and I'm Joni Grieve. Please stay safe out there, and thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 